my sense of what can go right is the greater connectivity that is taking place even in the face of the forces of separation that are potentially driving us to, to destruction. Hi, it's Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, uh, in which we interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, asking them each our one question, in all that seems to be going wrong, what could possibly go right? Today's guest is Jeremy Lent, who is an author and the founder of the nonprofit Leology Institute, dedicated to fostering a worldview that could enable humanity to thrive sustainably on this earth. The Leology Institute, which integrates system science with ancient wisdom traditions, holds regular workshops and other events in the San Francisco Bay Area. In addition to the patterning instinct, Jeremy is the author of the novel Requiem of the Human Soul. His most recent book is Web of Meaning. Lent holds a BA in English Literature from Cambridge University and MBA from the University of Chicago. He's a delightful, caring, smart, um, and accessible human being. So enjoy this interview with Jeremy Lent. So, wow. Welcome, Jeremy Lent, to What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, in which we engage cultural scouts like you, people who see far and serve the common good. In short, one question interviews. Now, I know you have a new book called The Web of Meaning, in which you pull together indigenous wisdom, Chinese philosophy, Greek thought, the Western story of progress, ecological knowledge, into one seamless web of meaning. It's just glorious. And, and other interviewers will prompt you uh, to explain the exquisite pattern of your thought about our evolution to an ecological world, worldview and civilization. But my, our task today is a bit different. We are trying to see in the welter of issues from COVID to polarization to climate change, mm -hmm. what is actually possible now that the cracks are appearing in the old neoliberal structures? What is emerging that we can cooperate with? Not what went wrong and why, not what should happen and may happen in the distant future if we do everything right. Our quest is to see what is happening now. And we rely on our cultural scouts to shine their headline lamps on the road ahead so we can see more clearly and act more courageously. So I think you get it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> with that challenging set of Jeremy, tell us yes. in all that seems to be going wrong, what could possibly mm -hmm. go right? Yeah. Yeah. Wait. You know, when I looked at that wonderful question that you have as your, as your thematic there, Vicky, um, there was a quote that popped into my mind, which is a, a quote I'm sure a number of listeners to this show also know. It's by Aldo Leopold. Um, and the, the reason it came into my mind is I was kind of thinking, well, let's, what about if we look at the deeper questions of what is right and what is wrong? Because really to get a sense of what can go right, we, we do need to get some sense of what it is that's actually wrong too. So we can look at that. And so he gave that great quote where he said, a thing is right when it tends to preserve the integrity, stability, and beauty of the biotic community. It is wrong when it tends otherwise. And 
to me, at least, it feels like that's a really great starting point to actually really look at more deeply at this question. And, and, and even though I know you're not wanting to go to spend too much time on how did it all get to this place, <laughs> I think that it, it is worthwhile, um, at least from my perspective, to get some sense of what it is that went wrong in order to really get a sense of where we can see what's actually going right right now. And I think that to take that older Leopold quote, um, the integrity, stability, and beauty of the biotic community, when did things start to get done to disintegrate that biotic community? And, you know, I think, um, well, in fact, I'm, I'm quite convinced we can go back all the way back to the rise of agriculture and these kind of separations that arose between humans and nature and putting up fences and the, uh, the beginning of the patriarchy and hierarchy. Uh, we could go back less far, which I think is probably more relevant to what we're thinking about here, which is the rise of the scientific mode, the scientific revolution mode of thinking in the 17th century in Europe, because that's when this really powerful idea got to come around of uh, really the foundation of human supremacy, like humans are separate from nature. Humans are, in fact, nature exists just for humans. In fact, nature doesn't even have and like existence of its own, an intrinsic value. It's just there as a resource for humans to exploit. And it's that exploitive, extractive quality uh, of thought that was really unique to Europe at that time. You don't see that in other traditional cultures around the world, but because that came along with the power of technology from the scientific revolution and this exploitative mindset, as we know, the history of the last few hundred years is that European mindset, along with those European uh, conquerors, essentially came to conquer the world and exploit and eviscerate the cultures and the natural um, ecosystems all around the world. And, and it's really in this last hundred years or so, it's a, we see the rise of capitalism. And then in the last few decades, neoliberalism, almost like further um, taking this notion of human supremacy, taking this notion of separation, exploitation to greater and greater heights. Whereas now it's almost considered that is what it is. That's what human nature is, right? Is to be selfish and, and exploit things. And that's, and, you know, that's uh, the whole point of being on this earth is to exploit nature in that way. So having looked at that, I think that helps as a basis to then say what's going right. Um, and I think in the face of all this devastation, we see amazing, powerful forces beginning to shift. And what we need to look at for that thematic that ties them together is if those are all forces of separation I was describing, they're forces of connectivity. They're um, ways in which uh, humans are beginning to learn about connecting and how those connections are actually more important than what they've been told uh, are the forces of separation. And we see those connections at different layers, kind of fractal layers, um, all around the world and all around our own consciousness. Like we see lots of awareness that, for example, that humans themselves are not split, that we are an integrated consciousness, that we're embodied. Uh, we see this recognition of the power of really a shared humanity. Um, I actually think one of the most important developments that has happened uh, in all of human history is one that has just occurred in the last 20 years is the rise of the internet. And you know, it's easy to look 
cynically right now and say, right, and that got taken over by the same capitalist uh, and sort of multi-headed Hydra um, powers. And now that's used to exploit people. And it's absolutely true, it is. But I think that that is actually more of a temporary phase um, in, in the, uh, as of sort of almost like a growth spurt of something that is far greater, assuming our civilization actually does make it past the century and into centuries into the future, which is a big assumption. But if it does, I think um, the rise of the internet will be seen as a shift in human consciousness and human powers of connectivity, maybe even at least as great as the, um, as the invention of writing, uh, and maybe even as powerful as the invention of language, which, which sounds like obviously that's almost a defining characteristic of humanity. But the ways in which we can use technology to connect through the internet has massive, um, massive epic possibilities that we haven't even begun to even conceptualize, never mind actually experience right now as a potential. So I do see this possibility of this sense, and, and, and I think we see some of this, um, this kind of sense of where that, that, that extra connectivity is going already. So even while Facebook, um, separates us and you know, tries to commoditize people and um, and you know and both Facebook and YouTube and all those various um, social media exacerbate the polarities. All the things where we know only too well are going on. Even while that's happening, there's a greater and greater sense of a human global consciousness. So that when things like um, the Me Too movement or things like um, the murder of George Floyd happened, that happened last year occur. It doesn't just happen in one place. It doesn't even just happen in one country, but it happens throughout the world. Um, these shifts in consciousness can move so powerfully. When Greta Thunberg sits there you know, in front of the Swedish parliament for days on end, um, there's no way anybody could ever have conceived that within just a couple of years, there'd be millions of school children around the world joining a global climate strike inspired by that one person. The transformation is incredibly fast and it's a transformation of human connectivity and perhaps just as important uh, connectivity between humans and the non-human uh, world, the greater than human world all around us. I think there is a greater and greater recognition um, that we're not separate from nature, that we are nature. The, in the words of this great um, poster I saw at COP21, Cup, um, we are not fighting for nature, we are nature defending itself, which um, I think really captures it. So that's my sense of what can go right, is the greater connectivity that is taking place even in the face of the forces of separation that are potentially driving us to, to destruction. And it is, it does seem, to me, there is a certain kind of Manichaean uh, sort of thing going on, like which force is going to be the more powerful? Is it going to be this force of destruction, destruction of the living earth, destruction of even our total uh, global civilization with all the just horrendous um, like megadeaths that would be involved in that, uh, like absolutely the worst case scenario? Is that going to happen or are we going to be able to transform our culture more quickly than that undoing takes place in order to shift, to shift away from a growth oriented, um, wealth accumulating world to this vision of what I and others 
um, <clears throat> call an ecological civilization, a civilization that's actually founded on that connectivity, on the power of symbiosis between humans and non-human nature. Wow, just your last, what the last thing you were talking about, it, uh, it makes me think, and many people may not agree with me, but um, uh, one of the benefits of the pandemic has been that you're sitting in your home, probably. I'm sitting in my home. Right. You know, we probably don't have pajama bottoms on, but we could. Right. You know, there's some humanizing element, um, a relational element. You know, I, I used to say I wanted my tombstone. It's a relational world. That's my sense. It's not a billiard ball world. It's a relational world. It's sort of one. It's the universe, the one song. So I think we've had the ability to experience that and even to experience our, you know, fangirl, you know, people in these most intimate situations. So there's a feeling of uh, affinity among humans that's very human scale, even though it's global. I have a lot of friends talking about how cool it is to get on a screen and see 30 people who are from all over the world. I think that's that's another um, epiphenomenon of this new um, language, you know, something equal to language or the, you know, the Gutenberg press, you know, this is something that allows humanity to actually experience that it's a centipede walking on 8 billion legs, you know, actually 16 billion legs. But right, <laughs> exactly. So I think that's uh, that, you know, is congruent with what you're saying and the other thing I thought about, um, and I wonder what you think about this, is that you talked about human supremacy coming out of Western European thought um, that has led to exploitation, etc. Um, and you know, those are two; those are real hot button issues, actually, because because there's a large you know, an actually solidifying section of the population, at least in the United States, who that hears you're making Western civilization wrong. You're rewriting our history. This was an empty country. We civilized it. You know, this was an empty land that and, you know, very few things, you know, basically the rights movements are like elevating property to actually living beings. You know, women actually have rights, you know. Black people are not property. Women are not chattel, you know, like it's, it's, um, so I just feel that grinding edge. And do you yeah. have, do you have a sense of that from your point of view of like, like where are the elegant ways uh, that the ecological worldview can like, like flow into those grinding joints? I just had a joint replacement. So I think about, that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm yeah. just evoking something that I thought you might, Yes, yeah, no, I, I think that that is so true. And I think that part of what we're seeing in this incredible polarization, both in the US and elsewhere in the world, um, is people fearing that they're going to lose the privileges that they, they've had. But I think what <clears throat> the reason we're seeing such a um, just extreme response, uh, like of this reaction to things is really twofold because uh, I think people are feeling threatened in two fronts. First off, uh, the rise of neoliberalism and this incredible 
increase in inequality throughout um, throughout the world, and it, most particularly in the United States. Um, and the sense of this kind of doom and gloom of climate breakdown and all the rest of it is causing a lot of people um, to feel left out, to feel alienated, to feel, and they're told that it's their own fault if, they, if, they're, if they've been left out, because of course, one of the ethics of neoliberalism is this lie that it's, you know, it's your own freedom to make what you want. And so if you fail, it must be your fault, where of course it's the exact opposite of that. The whole uh, game is rigged against everyone other than the elites. Um, but so people are feeling that sense of frustration. And then on the other side, there is this greater movement uh, of, on the progressive front towards recognizing the rights of people who have been um, oppressed in prior generations or, and continue to be oppressed, but like waking up to this um, sense that that's actually wrong. And so here are people like stuck in both sides. On the one hand, they feel like everything is going wrong. I've lost the little that I had before. And of course the media doesn't tell them, oh, that's because you've got these mega billionaires who have basically stolen all your wealth from you and continue to do so. What the media tells them is, yeah, it's those other people who are taking away, you know, deflect people's attention towards the people on the other side who are actually taking um, those rights away. And of course, what, and people who study and are engaged in the issues of white supremacy um, show very clearly for anyone who is, wakes up to these issues that actually white supremacy um, doesn't just oppress the people who are not white as a result, but oppresses the white people who think that they're maintaining their privilege, but what they're having to do is stay engaged in this um, horrible, uh, brutal, violent set of relationships. And so they have to always stay on the defensive and tight and uh, worried about losing rather than actually sharing a space with others where it's anything but, where it's not a zero sum game. It's actually a, a positive sum game to actually share that. And human supremacy is the same thing. Uh, we sort of think that, uh, you know, we need to exploit nature as much as possible. And the more um, nature hurts, the more we need to find technological ways to exploit it more. But actually, once we shift away from that, we recognize that to actually live symbiotically with nature, we all gain. It's not, it's not this thing of like, oh, we have to make sacrifices and we have to um, cut down our quality of lives. And if we want to survive or if we want to uh, sort of uh, fend off disaster, it's actually what we have to do is um, wake up to the fact that we are being turned into consumer zombies by this neoliberal culture, this capitalist culture. And if we can actually get off what's sometimes called the hedonic treadmill and actually start to look at what's really, uh, what really drives quality of well-being in life, we actually gain tremendously while we can be part of a movement towards actually making the world more stable. So to your point, I think the, the important thing is to reach out to people to show them that it's not win-lose and it's not us versus you or us versus them or anything like that. But it's actually, um, as humans, we can connect together. Uh, we can actually build communities which are of mutual value. It's not about taking away from people what little they have, but it's about gaining something that they don't even realize oftentimes is available to them because they've been conditioned to think in these more constrained consumer-oriented ways. Yeah, the picture that I'm getting as you speak, um, 
And Matisse Wackernagel and I used to talk about this. You know, you're, you're sort of watching somebody, you know, they have a balloon and they're going, and the balloon is that, that again. And you just are waiting for that thing to pop and it's not popping, you know? Right. And, right. and so I just feel like what you're describing is, is an extreme tension that could blow up in any direction. And one direction is of a paradigm shift, you know, that, right. that people start to realize that the game is not worth the candle. The thing I'm doing is not getting me the results I want, which of course is the old, your money, your life, you know, promise. Right. Um, and I wonder if you have any thoughts about, you know, I've worked for years and trying to convince people, oh, look over here, the greener pastures, you know, it's really fun and we have, you know, but what, yeah, do you have any sense about the tipping point around this increasing dis-ease that would finally get people to say, wait, wrong story? Mm. Yeah, well, I, each person, I think, has their own tipping points in terms of their own life and their own life mm. experience. And each society um, or each community has its tipping points. You know, So when a hurricane uh, hits here or when um, an incredible drought or the fire, the firestorms that we we endured in the West last summer and may well endure even worse this coming summer. And um, all around the world, people hit their own tipping points, and and in different uh, areas, different communities wake up and say, "This is not this is not like working. Something is wrong with the story we've been told. We've got to look for a different way of doing things." And I think. One, one way of looking at all of the bad things that are sort of un, like um, unfolding year after year, and of course we know in the next few years, they're only gonna get worse. The climate emergencies are only gonna get worse. The disasters and the inequalities are getting worse. All these things is think about this notion of like a tightly woven rug and say that rug is, um, the design is all wrong and you want to change the design, but how do you do it? It's all tightly woven. You could try sort of pulling it apart, but you can't even get, you know, it's, it's, it's tight, it's together. But now imagine that that rug starts magically unraveling. And this is basically what's going on with our, with our society. And um, all of the relationships between things, the things that people are told to take for granted for decades, even for centuries, they've been tightly woven so that um, every now and then people might uh, ask a question or um, uh, do something to try to look at different ways of weaving that meaning rug basically together. But people say, no, that doesn't work. This is what right, this is what's working. This is what's right. But now as these disasters are coming on more and more strongly, the, it's as though the rug itself is unraveling. And it's when, as society and as our sort of way of making meaning to the past begins to unravel, it offers the opportunity to take those strands that are unraveling and reweave them into a different kind of pattern that can be more resilient and that can work better. So to me, this offers this incredible opportunity. And it's why even as the bad things happen, and trust me, I don't want the bad things to happen. I would love them not to. Um, so it's not like I'm saying, yeah, bring it on. But the point is, as these bad things happen, it offers this opportunity to then take these strands and to reweave them into a different story of meaning. And I believe that, honestly, this is 
the great project of our generation right now is to be um, putting out these possibilities of these new stories of making meaning um, exactly the kind of thing you're doing with this series and what many, so many people are doing in each of their different ways out there. Um, so that when the new generation, people of Greta Thunberg's age um, coming into their maturity and then the next generation, even after that, in the next 10 to 20 years, they're going to be saying, this is not working. We need a different way of making meaning of things. Our job is to give that generation an absolute, a clear pathway to that meaning making. So they can just turn to these things and say, got it. Um, you know, this capitalist growth oriented economic model isn't working. Here's another model, donut economics, circular economy, um, sacred economics. It's, this is working, this makes sense and tie those pieces together so it makes sense. Um, and then not just in economics, but in every aspect of our lives, in the spiritual aspect of, of our lives, going these separations don't make sense. I'm not a separate, mind trying to get to enlightenment or reach God or whatever, separate from the body. I'm an integrated being, which means that like part of my awakening is being engaged in the world and being connected with the living earth and being part of that. And um, all these ideas that are taking root, whether it's the sense of the rights of nature or recognizing ecocide as a crime or all these different elements or people working on interconnected law, like re reimagining what law would be like in a, in a civilization that actually worked for people being together for the, for the living earth. Um, so to me, it's a lot about re doing this reweaving, even while the thing's unraveling. So it's as though there was this um, wonderful game, perhaps you played it as a kid. I remember um, when I was a kid, Cat's Cradle, where you take the, the mm -hmm. and you, you kind of hold it in a certain way and but it's the pattern is such a way that you just put together and you, you move your hands and it's a completely different pattern. And it's like that's what our job is to do is to kind of reweave the those those patterns of meaning within our civilization from the inside out so that we don't have to like see everything collapse and try to rebuild from new in the smoldering ruins of these like little micro communities that happen to be left after everything fell apart, but to try to do it while things are falling apart so that they don't totally collapse, but we can actually reweave this ecological civilization uh, future in the, in the middle of our civilization that's there right now. And there's a lot of that is through things like commons, like when we develop new technologies, new ideas, new approaches, not going to this for-profit um, entrepreneurial business model of oh, let's get some investment. Maybe I can become a billionaire too. Or of course, I want to do good, but you know, it wouldn't be bad to get all that money too. But actually totally change the mindset to say, how can, I, how can we share the funding of this as a group? How can we um, distribute the power of this? How can we make our decisions collectively so that everything is innately being done for the good of the whole, not for the good of some uh, sort of heroic entrepreneur? Well, I just think that's so inspiring. I don't think I should say one more word on top of it. <laughs> may it be so, and may we all be weavers, and may we, we um, just stand in the places where we're inspired to stand and call out to one another, you know, words of, of encouragement and, um, and just, you know, sort of practical faith that what you're talking about is actually what's going on not so far under the surface. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. not so far under the surface. It's sort of like the emphasis is on a different level. It's just, you know, um, so I really, really thank you for this. Um, and thank you for playing the game I, I asked you to play, you know, right. and, and, and using the loom, if we want to go with weaving, using the loom of your profound thought to actually weave something for us that we can actually see. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and thank you, Vicky, for this whole series. What a wonderful, inspiring gift to the world. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Cher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.